you're going to be put above us and teaching us in this way, I'm going to trust that you know what you're talking about mm-hmm. and that you're safe and trustworthy. And so when you tell me that's what you get for dating a non-Christian, I don't hear that from a youth pastor. I hear that from God. Welcome to the Bear Marriage Podcast. I'm Sheila Ray Gregoire from BearMarriage.com, where we like to talk about healthy, evidence-based biblical advice for your marriage, your sex life, and now your parenting. And I am joined today by my daughter, Rebecca Lindenbach. Hello, hello. We are talking about consent, the consent message today on episode 184 of the Bear Marriage Podcast. That's a lot of episodes. It is. Mm-hmm. And today we are going to look at how the messages that are given to our girls about consent, or rather the messages that aren't given to our girls about consent can really hurt them. We're in the middle of our launch for our new book, She Deserves Better, Raising Girls to Resist Toxic Teachings on Sex, Self, and Speaking Up, which is out April 18th. And we have a lot going on. We have an amazing launch team, which if you pre-order the book and you're willing to write a review on Amazon or Goodreads, you can join that launch team. We will put links in the podcast notes, but there's several hundred people in there. We're having an amazing time there. Yeah, there's a lot of people. It's amazing to see. There's yeah. lots of great discussion. Like we post one thing and there's tons of comments and tons of discussion mm-hmm. immediately. It's mm-hmm. fantastic. Three weeks ago, we did our first podcast on this, looking at dating rules. Yes, that's right. We looked at uh, the the effects of the girls talk too much message yes. as a thing of internalized misogyny. Last week, we did a pretty horrifying podcast on the modesty message. Yeah, it was pretty bad. I mean, the podcast, I think, uh, the podcast was good. The message was bad. Like, <laughs> yes, yes. Yeah. And today we want to turn to something else, which which we found was really harmful in a number of our interviews and our focus groups, which is the lack of emphasis on consent and how that affects sexual assault in girls. So to do that, we have a special guest that we are going to have join us for part of this podcast. We are so happy to bring on the podcast someone that we interviewed uh, as we wrote She Deserves Better. Yes. And we're not going to have video for this portion of the podcast to preserve privacy. And Mm -hmm. we will introduce you as Vera, which was the name that we gave you in our book. Yes. So hello, Vera. Hello. Thank you for having me. I am Vera. (laughs) Yeah. Becca, do you want to take this? Because you did the interview. Yeah, I do. I do. For people who don't know, I'm kind of in charge of our qualitative research uh, side of things because I am, I think I'm the only one who's ever done semi-structured interviews through qualitative research through the university. I don't know if Joanna has or not, actually. Yes, and you kicked me out when I was I, did mom, some of them. We've talked about this in a previous podcast. Mom was so bad at it because she'd be like so reacting like, that's the worst thing I've ever heard. Like, you can't say that in a professional research interview. Yes. Anyway. Yes. So uh, Vera was one of the people in our focus group research. And uh, we wanted to have you on today to talk about this idea of how the church teaches consent mm-hmm. to preteens and teenagers yeah. and how that can affect people. So we talked to you because you had experienced sexual assault in high school. Yes. And had heard some really damaging messages from the church. So do you want to tell a bit of your story? Yeah, absolutely. So I um, was not raised in a Christian home. So I think that also um, adds a lot to my part in this. Um, in high school, I had gotten a really, really bad concussion, and then I uh, woke up out of the concussion, as I kind of like to say, and mm-hmm. I was suddenly in a relationship with an older boy from high school who I had not known pre-concussion, and I kind of just went, oh yeah, I will trust 
fear is judgment in whoever she is choosing to date. Um, because I had great judgment pre-concussion. <laughs> uh, well, well, maybe not great judgment, but I had judgment pre-concussion. Um, and then what would happen was because of the concussion afterwards, I would get really, really severe migraines. And so I would get migraines to the point where I was not able to stay at school. This boy would drive me home. My parents would be both at work and I would have no memory of what happened, but then had very strong triggers to certain smells that would be Mm -hmm. associated with this person or um, different, just different body things that would happen that wouldn't quite make sense. And it all accumulated about six months into the relationship or so, I guess, Um, maybe less than that. Um, And it ended up in a full out sexual assault where in the eyes of young Christian me, I quote unquote lost my virginity. Yeah. And that was very traumatizing because there, again, we're going to go into it more. There's so many messages you hear about your worth as a woman or a girl and your virginity. And it was so hard because to this boy, there were a million little moments that led into that. And I was not aware of any of those moments that we were leading into, you know, um, because you you were you said you were recovering from a concussion and yeah. so a lot of the stuff would happen as you were kind of like either in the midst of a migraine or yeah. blacked out. Yeah, I, I don't think I was conscious. I very well may have been, but yeah. based on my memory, of we it, also know how traumatic brain injuries affect mm-hmm. people too. And yeah, and I mean, if you if someone is is sick enough to not be in school, they're probably not sick enough to consent to. Yeah, they're probably things. too sick. <laughs> you know they're not healthy enough to consent exactly so yeah so that's kind of like the the nitty-gritty but it was a lot of little moments i only truly remember one but in in the body remembers conversation there's i know there's far far more Mm -hmm. in the memory bank that my my brain is readily protecting me from (laughs) yeah exactly so then i know from when we were talking and interviewing for the book what you're saying is yeah so you had this concussion your boyfriend would then take you back from school Mm -hmm. and then things would happen and after one particular incident where you quote unquote lost your virginity after that you were kind of something's not right you had the warning bells and then you went and you tried to get help yeah well i had um from what i remember i had broken up with him um, because I had such deep shame and I, oh my gosh, I just had sex. This is horrible. The church, this boy isn't a Christian. The church has talked so much about how dangerous this is, all of these things. And then I had talked to a friend and, and she had felt, oh, something really isn't right. But I just remember sobbing and not being able to really say why. And, and in my mind it was, oh, it's because I've done this horrible, horrible mm-hmm. thing. Um, and so I did try to seek help. I tried going to uh, the youth pastor and his wife. And um, in very 2010s youth pastor and wife style, youth pastor basically said, well, this is what happens when you date a non-Christian. This is yeah. the risk that you take. And, and again, to be clear here, you were like blacking out from a concussion yes. while a guy was having sex with you. Yes. To be very, very... Yeah, and like held down. Like I, I it was... It was very explicitly in that moment, non-consensual moment. Um, and then the the youth pastor's wife, who, frustratingly enough, is barely older than I am, yeah. um, glues two pieces of paper, a blue one and a pink one, because boys are blue and girls are pink, <laughs> and glues the pieces of paper together and, and then lets them dry and tears them apart and tells yeah. me all about soul ties and tells me all about how now our souls are 
forever intertwined. And in that moment, just realizing like, oh my gosh, God is never going to let go of this moment with me. I am now forever intertwined with this boy who's done this thing to me and and not even really with me, just literally to me. And and now I will never be able to shake this out of my body. Mm -hmm. This is now part of my DNA forever because soul is even deeper than DNA, especially when you're a young teenager who hasn't grown up with understanding that that is not a biblical concept. You believe what your pastor is telling you, you know, and then just continuously searching for more answers, going to a youth leader and him saying, well, it takes two to tango. And that being kind of the first, like, but, but it didn't. Yeah. I did not tango. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And I think that was my first like little like aha moment or going to a friend who was at youth group and him saying, well, now you realize you're married in God's eyes. Because those were messages that he had been given as a yes. child. And me actually sitting and thinking for the rest of the summer, should I get back together with him? If I'm married in God's eyes, then am I dishonoring God by not being in a relationship with this person? Yeah. And so it, it was a lot. It was not just um, a singular message. Then going into counseling. Mm-hmm. When I, I'm now in school, he's changed classes so he can be in class with me, so he can further assault me in class, in public. And this this old old youth, or this old uh, counselor saying things like, well, it's like David and Goliath, and you have the stones. And, and it's just making it so um, spiritual when it was still happening in my body, to my body, you know, in public. And they did say like, oh, is it, are you still in danger? But in that moment, it doesn't feel like danger. It feels like sin. Yes. Mm -hmm. I think that's the big thing is when you have just been told, we heard this over and over in our focus groups, girls said like, I was taught so much to say, to protect my virginity, but Mm -hmm. no one ever taught me to protect myself. Yeah. Right. And so once you lose your virginity, whether it's by force or not, you feel like you no longer matter Yeah. because the thing that you have to offer as a Christian girl Mm -hmm. is gone. So let's just, let's just set the stage a little bit more. So you're in, you're, you're in a family that doesn't go to church, No, no. but it's like your mom loved you. You had a great relationship with your mother. Really good relationship with my mom. My mom had, had really set me up for success when it came to avoiding abuse. Mm -hmm. Uh, I had learned about sex at seven years old. I had learned about consent for literally as long as I could remember, but the church had made my parents feel so untrustworthy because, well, they're not Christians. They don't really know. Yeah. And those, it, it, do I really want to tell my mom that this happened to me? Because then what will that do to, to uh, her real potential relationship with God? Mm-hmm. You know, I had, had so much blame in the past over a great grandmother dying and her not knowing God. And I just sent her to hell, you know, and that just that personal responsibility and that fear of their souls, your soul means yeah. more than anything else. Mm-hmm. So if they know that this has happened to me and this is how the church has responded, they might tell me to stop going to church. They may never go to church. They mm-hmm. may they may be turned away from God, and then that's going to be my fault because I was careless with my body. Yeah. You know? So not only did the church I, I, like do flat out tell you that because your your parents were not Christian, they could not tell you the truth in yes. this area. Oh, absolutely. Which, yeah. 
Well, they, in every area. Well, in any area. In <laughs> any area. Well, there is this mentality that unless you are the right, not even just a Christian, but the right kind of Christian, mm-hmm. you can't have any truth. Mm-hmm. And so, therefore, you can't listen to anyone who doesn't share your exact theological debates. Yeah. So you had that side of it, which meant that all your discussions about consent that you previously had were now worldly. Yeah. So and, the idea of consent a, was a very, worldly. In my eyes at the time, and now looking back, it's strange, but she was a sexually liberal woman. She yeah. dressed immodestly. I remember being a teenager and condemning her to her face for dressing like a teenager. How? Why are you dressing immodestly? Mm-hmm. You know, and, and saying that to your mother because the church has made you feel so much shame about your body as a child. Yeah. Let's mm-hmm. like reiterate that as a child mm-hmm. that, that I have to project that shame onto my mom because she's wearing... Yeah, things that you're not allowed to wear. Exactly. <laughs> you yeah, so you have the side of it where, where they're telling you that what your mom has told you is not appropriate yes. because, not because they disagree with what she's saying every single thing, but because she's not a Christian. 100%. So you can't, you can't go to your mom for anything. And no. so you do go to your youth pastor. And I want this, I want this, I, I want everyone to hear this. When you went to your youth pastor and his wife, mm-hmm. who again was not that much older than no. you. <laughs> No one mentioned consent. No. no one asked you if it was consensual. No, and no one, I don't think, cared because I had put myself in that situation with a non-Christian boy, and I should have known better than that. Yeah, and, and that's sarcasm. I yeah. should have oh, known better. Yeah. Sarcasm. Yeah. Just, just <laughs> really sarcastic. Things. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. There's this idea that boys will be boys. Mm-hmm. And your job as a girl is to make sure that boys don't be boys around you. And so if you put yourself in a position where boys can be boys around you, then really what were you expecting? Yeah. And that is so harmful mm-hmm. because it does, it, it really damages our ability to have conversations about consent. Because when you are someone, especially, I think especially for, for people who are in your situation, we have a lot of people who listen, who are talking about She Deserves Better or who are thinking about these kinds of books and thinking, yeah, but... My daughter's fine. Mm-hmm. I'm a great parent. I'm yeah. aware. Okay, that might be true. Yeah. Like, I'm going to be honest. I had great parents who were very aware, very strong Christians, active in the community, actively taught me how to stand up to leadership. Okay, like, I had all the... <laughs> Thank you. Yes, exactly. <laughs> but I had friends in my youth group who were going through stuff, right? Mm-hmm. Like, what if your friend, what if your daughter has friends in their youth group? This matters to me so much, okay? So if you're a mom who's listening and you're saying... I don't think that I need to really care about this that much because my daughter's safe. Mm-hmm. It's not just about your daughter. <laughs> like it is, but it's not. It is It is about the culture as a whole. And as yeah. Christians, we are supposed to care for the least of these. And that doesn't mean that there are some kids who are least than others. I just mean we're supposed to care for everyone. Yeah. Okay? You care for people who are not convenient for you to care about. Maybe it's the kid who did convert when they're 12 years old and they're at your daughter's youth group and they're your daughter's friend. Or mm-hmm. maybe it's the kids who convert and your daughter doesn't really get along with them. But you know what? They matter anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, because additionally, we know... We hear from so many people who, um, obviously we hear from so many people who they themselves were damaged or abused or harmed because of harmful teachings or they were abused um, in youth group or they were sexually assaulted and they heard this kind of crap like that pink and blue construction paper. Like you said, he was now a part of your soul, right? It was so intense. But there are also people who don't have any of that, but the people they love do. Yeah. Mm -hmm. They're friends. They're people that they loved growing up where they come out of this and they see how much the church hurt their people they loved. And so I just want to make sure that there are a lot, we have a temptation as parents to look for the ways that we can close our eyes to things that are scary. Mm -hmm. We have a temptation to think, but that will never happen to my kid. And, And the unfortunate truth is that 
you might be right. That does not mean that it won't affect them. When there is poison in the water, it affects us. And please don't just turn away, even if you think it doesn't affect you. I just, I do want to say that as we're going forward. Because yeah. I know for you, the, a lot of the emotional turmoil you had in your teenage years was over friends. It wasn't oh, yeah. what was happening to you. Especially it was in friends. my 20s. And like when I was 18 to 23, like just finding out again and again and again, the kinds of ways that the church had betrayed people that I desperately mm-hmm. loved. Yeah. And then, I mean, that's that's a lot of why we're doing this work. And that's why we interview people like Vera, people mm-hmm. like who, the other stories that you see in the book is because these stories matter. Mm-hmm. And we can't keep saying things like, well, what did you expect? Yeah. Or, well, boys will be boys. And, and that, that all yeah. comes into this. So, okay, Vera, as you're growing up, so you're, you're a teen, you're in the youth group. Yeah. You love Jesus. So much. You're trying to do the best that you can. Yeah. These terrible things are happening to you. What other messages? Can you remember any other messages that were given to you in the youth group about consent or... Well, I remember doing Sunday school and um, one of the dads who was also a worship leader um, giving one of the Sunday school messages that I'm sure many of us have heard before about um, a, a boy and a girl sitting in youth group and the boy having his hand on the girl's thigh and the, the youth pastor asking the boy, are you planning on marrying this woman? Have you proposed to her? Is she your fiance? And the boy saying, no, we're we're 13, we're 14, we're 15 years old. Of course I haven't proposed to her. And then the, the youth pastor saying, we'll get your hands off of another man's wife. Oh. <laughs> and, and, oh, and, and, no, no, no. We need a second. We need a second. Oh. Get your hands off another man's wife. And okay. This is about a child. Again, a yeah. teenager. And, and in that moment, everybody... <gasps> And you realize, oh, I belong to someone else. Yeah. Yeah. So, so it's not <laughs> it's not treat someone with respect because they deserve respect in and of themselves. Yes. <laughs> she only deserves respect because she belongs to some future as unnamed man. This future man. This child belongs to a man one day. Yeah. And that goes along with all of the other purity culture, modesty messages, all of those kind of things of of. Um, we were kind of talking about, like, we're talking a lot about consent and, and all those things. They, they, they tell you don't have sex. Mm-hmm. Don't mm-hmm. do it. Yep. And if you have sex or if you're raped, you deserve it. Yeah, because, because you've you probably chosen, you've wrong. chosen to wear a V-neck or you yes. did it in a non-Christian or, or that one day you wore, um, a bikini top or a tankini and you didn't wear a t-shirt over top of it. Yes. <laughs> um, yes. And, and then, and then you're, you're told all of these things and then you're being also told by grown men in the church who are most likely married with children your age, um, that you're stumbling block and you can't yes. wear yoga pants because men see you and you're a stumbling block to their faith. And what does that really mean? It means that they're thinking of you sexually. Yep. They may be masturbating over you or other kinds of things. Yep. You, are, you are a risk to them. You are the danger to them. You, the child, yep. are the danger to the grown man who is sexualizing you. Yeah. And so, again, it takes away the autonomy and the consent. I don't consent as a 14, 15-year-old girl because I've developed at a certain rate to, to be sexualized by a, a married like 54-year-old man. man or yeah. a 48-year-old man. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and so those messages, not only we're not talking about consent, you're saying don't have sex, but then also don't get raped because you're not going to talk about consent. So any sex is is mm-hmm. sex is to you. Yeah. And this is and this is something I, I, I want our listeners, we haven't we haven't said this yet, but one of the big things that we talk about in the consent chapter in She Deserves Better 
is that we large we largely replaced any conversation about consent in the church with just simply the don't do it message. Yes. Like we never talked about consent because you didn't need to because the message was don't do it. Yes. And so if you're having sex, no matter what, it's a sin. Right. And and so we never set up our girls to understand when something was coercive. Well, and not only that, we also trained our boys to not know what was coercive because we like what you were saying it's like this idea of ownership of women's bodies of women are stumbling blocks women make men stumble so Mm -hmm. first of all you're training the girls to just fully be a predator's complete dream because Mm -hmm. they don't understand at all any autonomy and they've been groomed already by Mm -hmm. the church not intentionally Mm -hmm. but they've been groomed by the church to speak right out of the predator's handbook where, well, I made you do it. Well, you couldn't help yourself. Well, let me me share something else that we have in in that chapter and your, your story very, it opens our consent chapter, but um, we also quote from some resources that were really heavily promoted to girls your age because you're a millennial. Mm -hmm. So you grew up with a lot of the purity culture stuff, the Brio magazine, um, well, I didn't have that because, again, I didn't have Christian parents. Right. Oh, right. There's no right. way. <laughs> okay. That was not being purchased for me. Right, right. But you were in that era. I was in I the era, yeah. And I still got those messages from people. Yes. Yeah. And so let me tell you, um, there was there was a book called For Young Women Only that was written by Shanti Felton. Mm-hmm. And in that, she talks about a survey question, which we have taken apart on a previous podcast. I'll put a link to it. We took it apart several years ago. It is not properly worded. We shared last week on how one of her modesty questions was horribly worded. This one was just as horribly worded. But she was asking boys, you're in a makeup situation with your girlfriend. Mm -hmm. You know, how likely is it that you're going to feel a responsibility or an ability to stop? Well, no, no, she doesn't ask that. She asks, how likely are you? to be able to stop the mm-hmm. sexual progression right and then yeah. and then she there's a number of different answers which are very badly worded again again i will put a link to where we dissected this mm-hmm. question but her conclusion in looking at her results is that 82 percent of boys have either little ability or little responsibility to stop yeah. in a makeout situation mm-hmm. and then she highlights one of the comments from, from a, a guy yeah. who wrote who took her survey who said Girls need to know that if if they want to stop it, it's safest to not even start. Yeah. And that's the message that I feel like I got from the youth group was I consented to what happened to me mm-hmm. because I consented to kissing this non-Christian boy. Yes. In for a penny, in for a pound. Exactly. Yeah. And if you're going to you're, you're going to engage in sexual sin, which is ridiculous because making out yeah. If you know, I mean, it was, <laughs> just, I just, I just, broadcast, you know, it's like we all just sigh. <laughs> but yeah, I, I consented to making out with this boy. Um, and, and now whatever happens after that is, is, and like the friend had said to me, um, now you're married in God's eye. So it takes the, the step further is not only are you consenting to one thing if you're starting the makeout, mm-hmm. but then you're, you're consenting to something that again, soul wise, mm-hmm. like the pastor's wife had said is so much deeper and so much more. Um, and we're, we were teenagers. You, you're going to want to make out. <laughs> we're just parachuting into this discussion to tell you about a group of people who help us do this work. We have a Patreon. Yes, and we could not do it without them. We're so grateful. Um, our patron group 
is what allowed us to do the research for She Deserves Better. Yeah. Um, they gave us the financial backing to be able to do this amazing project. Well, because frankly, like, again, like we, I know we said this before, but we were not expecting this book to take on the wings that it did. We were expecting to do a very quick, cutesy mm-hmm. little mom and daughter's devotional. And mm-hmm. instead, we ended up putting the same amount of work in that we did yeah. for Great Sex and Rescue. our patron group is my favorite place on the internet. We it's have, lovely. We have a wonderful Facebook group. I, I feel like I know them. They're, they're my real friends. Yeah. There's new people joining every week and it's, it's, it's an incredible place. You can join us for as little as $5 a month. There's unfiltered podcasts. You're going to see a lot of stuff behind the scenes. It's, it's a really great place and your money helps support what we're doing. So we would love to see you there. We're going to put the link to our Patreon. It's patreon.com slash bare marriage. And we will put the link in the podcast notes. And I just want to say too, your story is so it's it's awful oh it's terrible but it's so common mm-hmm. like, that's what's we, horrifying that is we talked to so many people in our focus groups we had so many people tell us about date rape situations yeah. and quite often they didn't even realize it was date rape for like 10 years they no. blamed themselves well i didn't even know that date date rape was a thing because yeah. the church messages that i and there was the verse i can't exactly remember what it was but where it um it says like wives submit to your husbands right yeah. And in, in the way that that was twisted in my brain in these moments was, well, I am a woman. Mm-hmm. I need to submit to these men. And mm-hmm. and this guy was not the only one that this had happened with me. And and I think that the, the other incidences were beforehand, but that kind of opened the door for it to happen in the severity that it did. Um, but I was like, I am... I am a I'm a wife yeah. in God's eyes because if this pastor or this this leader is talking about me as though I am some future man's wife, then who knows who my husband is? Yeah. I have to submit to these boys because mm-hmm. I am a woman. Well, and you're not the and there's that's actually really common. Like yeah. that's all in for young yeah. women only. We, that's in uh, lies young women believe. It's in all these. Yeah, that you need books. to practice submitting now. Yeah. yeah, do not like you need unconditional to respect for the boys around you yeah. because yeah. a woman's job is to be submissive, and mm-hmm. so you're telling girls to be submissive, mm-hmm. and also that boys can't help themselves. And so this is this is one of the things where one plus one equals two people. Yeah. Like this, mm-hmm. this, this is not hard to think to to follow. The logical trail here Mm -hmm. and what makes me so frustrated is what we did in evangelicalism is we took a girl's faith and we completely made it about virginity we made Mm -hmm. everyone's faith about sex okay so Mm -hmm. if you're not married it's about not having sex and if you are married about having sex right i mean it's great sex rescue and she deserves better (laughs) literally evangelical evangelicalism mostly has become defined by what we do about sex Yes. Right. And even in the culture, you know, that's what evangelicalism is typically known about is our mm-hmm. sexual ethic and that kind of thing. That's what that's what mm-hmm. we are popular for and famous for, because that's what we spend all of our freaking time talking about. <laughs> right. And so here's here's the problem. We taught all these girls that the way to be a Christian is to not have sex. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so what does that mean? That means that we teach our girls that if you have sex, that's the worst thing that you can do. Yes. So what does that mean? That means we get to all or nothing thinking about sex. Yeah. And we say, well, then if I've done one thing, I might as well do the rest. There are so many studies that have also shown this. High um, personal conservatism, like in terms of faith, so very strict rules, very mm-hmm. fundamentalist um, viewing on these things, um, uh, very religious, all um, black or white thinking, tends to actually lead to more risky sexual behavior and higher rates of uh, sexual assaults because girls think, well, I've kissed him, so now I have no excuse. 
I have to have sex with him because I've, I've made it go mm -hmm. too far already. Yeah. The chocolate bar already has one bite out of it. I might as well <laughs> let the whole chocolate bar go, right? Like, well, I've already glued myself to this piece of paper. Yeah. Like this all or nothing thing. The flower's already crumpled. The so flower's not crumpled. getting any more crumpled as the, it the water already has spit in it. <laughs> yeah, whatever the horrible virginity, sexual purity message, insert terrible metaphor here, right? So we ended up with this horrible all or nothing thinking which then also told girls, your entire worth has to do with whether or not you've had something inside of your vagina. Yes. Okay? And then what we have done is we then have those girls, and when they come into the church and something bad has happened to them, there's no ability for the evangelical church with these beliefs to tell them that was wrong. To, that shouldn't have happened to you because it uproots the entire idea of what God-given masculinity is. It says we actually, maybe maybe this actually wasn't okay, but then we have to talk about power dynamics and sex. We mm -hmm. have to talk about what consent actually means. And as we know from Great Sex Rescue, a lot of really popular marriage books have legit examples of marital rape in them. Mm -hmm. yeah. And I do have to wonder how much of these conversations are not happening in youth groups because the men who are running these youth groups and running these churches mm -hmm. are being taught by people in evangelicalism who cannot talk about consent mm -hmm. because they are actively perpetuating messages that enable marital rape. Mm -hmm. And so if you can get raped as a teenager who consented to making out, and maybe started fooling around and then said no. Yeah. Then what does that say about his wife? Mm -hmm. Or right? if you consented, like what, what the pastor had said to me, well, this is what happens when you date a non-Christian. Yes. I consented to, in his eyes, being raped because I was dating a non-Christian in yeah. the same way that a wife consents to having sex with her husband whenever she, she got wants married. to because yes. she married him. Exactly. Like, what does that say? I, I do think that's a conversation that needs to be had as well. Mm -hmm. Because my concern is... We are not addressing the root of this, which is that we see our young girls, our young, young, young girls. I mean, we talked about this last week with the modesty stuff. We eight see years old. Girls as young as eight years old are told your bellies are very intoxicating, right? Or in the 2021 version of Dana Gresh's book, they're told that, you know, wearing certain clothing can ask people to finish the picture of your body. Mm -hmm. Eight-year-olds. There is no mm -hmm. eight-year-olds who are inviting people to finish the picture of their body. No, no. That, is, that is a problem. We don't say that. It's pedophilic. You know, like, and this is still being said. This, again, that's in the 2021 version, okay? Yeah. There are fundamental views in evangelicalism where we see our young girls primarily as sexual objects that are owned by men. Mm -hmm. They're just kind of gotten dibs on them, yeah. right? So, like, the nine-year-old in the youth group who's dressing immodestly, like, she's defrauding a man by making him look at her, mm -hmm. and she's stealing from her future husband by allowing another man to look at her intoxicating belly as a nine-year-old. That's what she's taught. That's yeah. what she's taught. Yeah, and it means that you can't own your body. You know, you you were saying yeah. something interesting, Vera, about how, you know, that that worship leader said that leg belongs to someone's future husband. Yeah, I I I once knew a woman who um, felt like her vagina wasn't hers. Like she mm. had been told in her church that her vagina belonged to her future husband. Well, no, her vagina belonged to God and then to her husband. Right. Your so vagina her... is never yours. It's so... God's vagina and then it's your <laughs> so, husband's So like, vagina. is your ear yours? Yeah. Is your elbow yours? I think if a man wants to have sex with it, then no, it's not. Like, I, you know, it's, it's this idea that you do not have any agency. Yeah. So, okay. I mean, you've gotten through this. Yeah. And I know that that doesn't Gotten mean through that is a bad thing. Gotten through is, yeah. But it's also been like. Long, long, long time. Like 10 plus years for yeah. the, the incident we're talking about and 15 plus years for the other ones. Mm -hmm. And so it has been a really, really long time. And I think that 
a lot of it, like I, I have a therapist. Mm-hmm. Get, get, yeah. get a therapist. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, a, a non-Christian therapist if you can. Yeah. You can no, be we, Christian, but don't get a Christian therapist. Yes. License, license, please, please. Yeah. Um, and I've talked a lot, like a lot of dissociation. There's a lot of years that I do not remember. Yeah. I've lost my mom, who was a big part in teaching me consent and. When I lost her, I realized how much of her the church took away, even when she was alive. Yeah. You know, yeah. how much I had missed out on of the wisdom that she taught me. And the, she was trying to teach me to love my body when I hated yeah. it because it was a danger. You know, and I think <clears throat> losing her, becoming an actual woman, yeah. like that changed. I think a lot of it changed when I turned 24 and... I, my brain was mostly developed, you know, <laughs> a lot of things changed in the way that I saw myself in the world. And I was, I was married at that point and my husband did not see me as an inherently sexual thing. Yeah. I was not his, his, his play thing. I was not some irresistible charge that he just couldn't handle. I was his wife. Who he loved. And he liked yeah. me as a person. Yes. You know, mm-hmm. he liked, for the most part, <laughs> who I am at my core, with or without sex. You know, yeah. my we were together when, when my mom died, and we went through a really long period where that was not on the table, mm-hmm. you know. Um, and that was fine because he didn't marry me. Yeah. For my vagina, like you yeah. had said, you know, he yeah. liked me for who I was. And, and the parts of me that he didn't quite like were because of that trauma and my reactions to it, you know, and, and he helped me walked alongside me in, in realizing that I don't have to be some hypersexual being yeah. to keep him or to be a good wife that I could just do the dishes. <laughs> yeah, you just be, be a just normal be person. a person. And yeah. it was really hard on learning all of that, you know. And I think that, you know, being married and then becoming a mom and looking at my child and soon-to-be children and realizing, like, oh, my gosh, I will never see my children as inherently sexual beings. No. You know, they are. Of course, they're going to have sex. All of us are sexual But beings, I don't yeah. look at, at little girls and think, oh, they're – they're tempting these boys. I don't look at 16-year-olds and think, oh, she's wearing jeans and, and a tank top. She deserves whatever is coming for her because they are they are children. And yes. I think that was the big thing is growing up and seeing my age where I thought that I was this grown danger and my body was some weapon against men that, that God had somehow created an error in creating me in the way that he did. We've talked about it and. I, I, I used to think I was so big and I used to yeah. think I was so curvy and I was so such a terrible temptation. And then I look back and I was a child. Yes. And I, I looked like a child and yes. I acted like a child, just like the children that exist today do. You know, I think that was a big part of it is as you grow up, you get different eyes. You know, you're going through Starbucks and there's a child at the window serving you. You're like, oh my gosh, what happened to me? It's like, how is there a child? How is there a child? Are you okay? Like, I am 17, man. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I have a part-time job. <laughs> but I think that's something that kind of happens. You start to see the world in fresh eyes when, oh my gosh, you're, I was a kid. Yeah. Like, I was not some some temptress. I, I, was, I was 16. I was 15. Mm-hmm. I was 13. I was 12, you know? Yeah. And I think that that's a really big thing is is giving myself the eyes to see who I really was and not who I was told that I was. And giving yourself room to grieve for that child. Yeah. You know, hear that? Like the ability to grieve for the lost childhood mm-hmm. and, mm-hmm. and 
we, I'm hoping, my prayer for She Deserves Better too, is that as this, as we're talking about this as a church, like, and I don't mean churches in like a church, I mean like, you know what I mean? Like a capital C, Mm -hmm. the church. Mm -hmm. As we're talking about this, we can raise our kids to know that you're not somebody else's wife. No. Mm-hmm. You're not already claimed to be a sexual object mm-hmm. for some other man, and that's why it's wrong mm-hmm. to touch yeah. you. You're a person, mm-hmm. which means that no matter what you do or what is done to you, you do not lose mm-hmm. value mm-hmm. by what happens. Yeah. It means that our girls will grow up knowing that even if you have... I mean, if you have sex with as many people as you possibly can, like you Mm -hmm. haven't lost value. Mm -hmm. You are not worth less. Mm -hmm. And especially we can get rid of these ideas that boys will just take and it's girls' jobs to make sure it doesn't happen. So if you got raped, it's probably your fault. Yeah. Yeah. You know, we can get rid of that because our girls deserve better than to be told that you are really only worth something if mm-hmm. you are in mint condition, which is the creepy way that I was talked about it. In oh, that condition. is. Oh, that is yeah. really creepy. Yeah. Um, I want to make sure it's very clear. Those are not my words. <laughs> yes. Really and I think, too, in, I know in our launch group, because we do have a launch group going for She Deserves Better. There's, I don't know, like 600 people in there now, I think. <laughs> it's awesome. Yeah. But uh, if you pre-order the book, and we will put a link in the podcast notes, um, and then you agree to do a review for it, wherever you bought it, Amazon, a review on Goodreads, ChristianBook.com, wherever you buy it, um, then you are welcome in the launch team. And we're doing Facebook Lives. We've got lots of great discussions going in there, so we will have a link there. But yeah, I believe, things... I will say, I believe that when this one drops, at 1 p.m. today on Thursday, I think we're talking about deconstruction. Yeah, so that'll be awesome. We're yes. working through one of our pre-order bonuses for you. But um, one of the things that's come up in that group a lot is that people are using this book to reparent themselves, mm. to hear the things that they wish they had been told. Yes. So it's not just moms working through it with their daughters. It's like, this really messed me up, people, yeah. and I need to reparent myself. I want to, before we go, there's one other thing that I want to um, just reiterate with Vera's story, which really hit me. You were talking about how you went to your youth pastor because mm-hmm. that's the normal place to go. Yeah, I mean, yeah. youth pastors, the church hires the youth pastors mm-hmm. to deal with the issues with youth. Yeah. And your youth pastor and his wife were totally unqualified. Oh, so to handle this. Qualified. Yeah. And we often hire youth pastors who are in their early 20s mm-hmm. who are not trained yeah. in trauma in consent, in coercion, in any of this stuff. Mm-hmm. And they are the people that are going to be getting the worst stories. Yeah, yeah. And and I know I wasn't the only one he went to, and I know that that wasn't the only time that I went to him. You know, I went mm-hmm. to him when I was worried I had an eating disorder, and his threat was, well, you know, I have to tell your mom if it's true. Well, it's not oh true. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> you know, okay, so then it's not true. You know, if you have to... Tell my parent, and then again, like we've talked yep. about, this is going to harm their soul, and that's going to be my fault. And then, yep. then, then, no, none of it's true. I, I guess I was making it up. I went to you in your office yeah. for mm-hmm. no reason, you know. And I know many other stories where that pastor should have reported or should have protected and should have done those things, and he didn't. Um, yeah, because so again, common. he's so unqualified. He's so young. His wife was far too young to be having any kind of conversation like that with any of us. Mm-hmm. You know, you are not automatically qualified to mentor children who have been harmed because you are married 
18 or 19. Well, that's a youth pastor, you know. It's such a ridiculously common story, right? And that's that's what, that's one of the things I'm glad that we can talk about a bit too, because we have to ask churches too, even Mm -hmm. if you really like your youth pastor. If you think Mm -hmm. they're a great guy, they're just young, Mm -hmm. right? Like they're not ready for lead ministry because they're just young. Well then how on earth do you think they're able to handle the kinds of questions you're going to get from teenagers? Mm -hmm. I mean, most people in ministry know that the hardest questions happen between like, you know, grades eight and 12, right? Well, the people that are the most likely to disclose abuse, mm -hmm. the people that are the most likely to to disclose sexual assault or eating disorders health, mental health issues, cutting are going to be teenagers. And is your youth pastor that you are probably paying like $30,000 a year to, (laughs) um, where they they have a Bible college education, but not really any history in psychology or proper counseling techniques. Or any real world experience. Or formed, yeah training any of that are they qualified for this because your teens probably don't know anyone else on staff that they'd be comfortable talking to mm-hmm. you've you've set up this youth pastor as the one that teens are supposed to go to and the worst advice that we heard over and over and over again in our interviews was from youth pastors and oh, i mean if, yeah. if the youth pastor is the go-to for the ultimate truth the truth of the gospel who is jesus what does the bible say you as a teenager are going to assume that your pastor has the ultimate truth in every other aspect. Exactly. Mm -hmm. And it may not be true. And as adults, we may think, well, that's not quite reasonable. Nobody can be uh, the holders of all truth. But if if you're going to be put above us and teaching us in this way, I'm going to trust that you know what you're talking about Mm -hmm. and that you're safe and trustworthy. And so when you tell me that's what you get for dating a non-Christian, I don't hear that from youth pastor. I hear that from God. Yeah. Because you are you are the voice that brings me what the Bible really means. You're you're giving us sermons. You're 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 doing small groups with us. All of those things. It, it's so challenging because when the pastors or youth pastors or worship leaders, who are the mouthpieces of God in these mm-hmm. churches, mm-hmm. are saying these things to you, you don't hear it from the voice of youth pastor. Yeah, you hear it from the voice of God. God said to me, "You deserve that because you dated a non-Christian." You know, because when you're when you're saying these men are the bearers of truth, mm-hmm. then that truth is truth. Yeah. Or it's not. Or else you're labeled prideful. Right. Because yeah. that's the thing. Uh, and this is this is exactly what we found, though, is that this is why it affects those who believe it the most. Yes. Yeah. Right. Like we have found this over. And again, if you're interested in this. Get into the group. I'll make sure that our like our the person who runs the group like lets people in at noon so you can get there for one. But like if you're interested in talking about this, we're gonna be talking about this at the live today. The people who we found were often the most harmed by these teachings were those who believed them the most. Because if you're someone who believes the youth group like 75%, you think it's like a good idea, but you haven't really internalized it, and your youth pastor says something off, you're like, huh. You're you're out to lunch, right? But if you're someone who actually actively wants to follow Christ, you want to be a godly teenager. That's what we all we like all want to be like, like yeah. yes. And I didn't have parents to look up to, so I had the people in the church. Yes. I had the worship leader and his family. Yes. I had the youth pastor and his wife. I, yeah. those were the people who were my spiritual parents. And exactly. that's the way the church had worded it. So it's it's so there's so many layers to it of again, you're speaking for God. And you're also speaking as, as a, a somewhat of a parent to me. Yes. Because yes. I don't have spiritual parents who can tell me those things. So when you, the adult in my life, are saying this to me, I'm going to take it like my own father says it to me. Yeah. yeah. And that's and, why we need to be really careful to make sure that we're saying things that are actually rooted in truth mm-hmm. and not just sound like they're Christian. 
Because I, I believe, I really believe that Jesus is the truth. Mm -hmm. And so if we are saying things that mostly hurt the people who actually believe what we're saying, mm -hmm. that means we're lying. If the only way that you can really be protected is if you don't actually believe what's being taught to you, yeah. mm -hmm. that, that, that means it's a lie, right? Like our, our goal mm -hmm. should be as a church to have a message that brings life and healing and goodness. Not only like what, what, what Vera experienced, what so many others experienced, where if you actually trust the church fully, you're more likely to get hurt. Yeah. And that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to get this back to evidence-based stuff so we stop hearing this crap. So yeah. And so, so if you want to talk with your kids about this, or if you just need to sort this out for yourself, yeah. we do have this. And specifically in our consent chapter in yeah. She Deserves Better, what's another way of looking at consent? What's a better way of looking at consent? What's a Jesus-centered way of talking about yeah. this? Let's actually talk about consent. Yeah. <laughs> <And> <laughs> you can, so that you can work it through with your daughter, including ways that she can make sure that she isn't violating consent. that's always missing too. <laughs> yeah. Because yeah. girls can violate consent too. Mm -hmm. um, so we have that in the book. And I really encourage you to pick it up so Vera yes it was so great to have your Thank story you in the book <laughs> and we're, we're really honored that you joined us and all the other stories all the other women who were really vulnerable we know yeah. that these were this was hard stuff to share and mm -hmm. I know the stories that we were able to include from people who did do our our survey and our interviews, um, they really made the book better. So thank you mm -hmm. for doing that. Thank you for being courageous and being here. Oh, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much. And as you're just ending, what I just want to say, my my main hope is really that our kids, like my daughter, like the, the people who are just little babies now, who are really small, and the ones who are teenagers now, the ones who are currently growing up, that they'll be able to grow up in a church that never tells them that if you've had sex with someone, they're part of your your soul. Like we're they're they're able to be in a church where the idea of consent is not something that's just seen as oh, another word for license to sin, you know. And they're in a church where they actually are seen as more than just what they have to offer a man sexually, mm -hmm. but that our girls are taught that they deserve better. They deserve better than to be seen as objects. They deserve better than to be blamed for other people's actions against them. They deserve better than fear tactics and lies to keep them in line, because really we all deserve better than that. I'm really honored that she chose to share her story with us. Yeah, I, I honestly, whenever anyone is willing to be interviewed about such personal things, I'm always just, mm -hmm. I, I'm, I'm always impressed by uh, just how much people are willing to, you know, share to help other people. Yeah, and this is how we stop the bad messaging yeah. is we, we start talking about what happened to us. Yeah. We start being open about how this messed us up. And we're just adamant that our, the next generation deserves better. Oh, yeah. But I, I want to turn to something else. We're going to bring Joanna, our co-author Joanna, onto the podcast in just a second. Because what I want to look at now is that so often these messages, whether it's the modesty messages that we looked at last week, um, whether it's the consent messages like Vera heard from her pastor's wife that were shared in a lot of the books that we mentioned, often they're spread by women. Yeah. I mean, how many of us had a woman be the one who told us that our top was too tight or mm -hmm. our, our skirt was too short, right? And so, and so let's jump into a conversation with Joanna about that. Well, we have brought on to the Bear Marriage Podcast from Edmonton, Alberta, our wonderful co-author, Joanna Sawatsky. Hi, Hello, everybody. Joanna. Yeah, and Joanna is our stats person, so you are the smart person who runs all the statistical analyses on all of our data, and we thought we would have you on today to answer a question 
that I think has been haunting people since last week's podcast, Mm -hmm. where we talked about the eight-year-old bellies that are intoxicating, Mm -hmm. which is how in the world were women the ones who so often spread these messages? Yeah. Not just the female authors, but even in our focus groups, we kept hearing over and over again that the, that the people that girls heard this from in church were not men. Mm-hmm. It was women. Yeah. It was your mom's, like your mom's friend or your like Sunday your Sunday teacher. teacher, just some, you know, older woman in the congregation, just coming up to you apropos of nothing to tell you that you're immodest. Right. Yeah. So what did you were, you were wondering this too, Joanna. And so tell us what you did. Okay. So I thought I would look at how women who believe the modesty messages today, mm-hmm. do they believe that girls talk too much? Okay. As well. Cause if and you they- remember, tell it, tell us, cause from two weeks ago on the podcast, mm-hmm. we talked about the issue with girls talk too much. So, so explain what that was. Yeah. So essentially we're looking at the measure of technically what would be called internalized misogyny so girls actually don't talk too much statistically um so (laughs) if you believe that girls talk too much that's saying something about your beliefs about women and and therefore your beliefs about yourself right yeah you're you're more likely to believe that you taking up space is Mm -hmm. not okay there isn't room for you as a human Mm -hmm. and there's actually a enormous this is a technical term in statistics, enormous, <laughs> very large correlation between believing modesty messages today and believing the girls talk too much. It's about, you're about four times more likely to believe the girls talk too much if you believe a yeah. modesty message. Which is really like, that is enormous. That is that enormous. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So I actually think that the modesty messages themselves are a measure of internalized misogyny we would need to run more statistics to say that that was actually for sure a thing. Uh, Mm -hmm. But that seems to be both logically and statistically where the numbers appear to be pointing. Additionally, if women believe the modesty messages, they're about 55% more likely to report that they have been in an abusive marriage, that the the current marriage that they are in is abusive. Mm -hmm. So this is something both about their beliefs about themselves as women potentially, but also is is also a uh, potentially uh, mm-hmm. says something about their their quality of their marriage and of the the man who they're married to. Right. Mm-hmm. We have other numbers too on this, talking about how you know women who believe this today, how they differ from the women who either never believed it or who deconstructed. Mm-hmm. We are going to be talking about that, and I'm going to do a little plug. Okay, <laughs> we are going to be talking about that in one of our Facebook lives in our launch group on Facebook. And so, if you're interested in this conversation and figuring out, you know, what is it that makes women, the predominant people who bear this message, please do join for that. Um, We want to have it more as like a discussion with like the live comments and stuff like that. So we're going to keep that in the Facebook group, but you Mm -hmm. can just, there's going to be a link in the podcast notes to figure out how you can become a part of our launch team. Yeah. All you have Um, to do is pre-order the book and and then send us your receipt and then tell us that you're going to write a review. Yeah. That's all we ask of you. Exactly. So then there's so much extra stuff. 
yeah. your way. But really what we're getting at is people do not preach this message in a vacuum. Yeah. It's kind of what we're finding, right? Mm-hmm. If you are a woman who believes that boys can't help but lust after girls who are dressed a certain way, that girls have a responsibility to protect boys from having to see their bodies, you know, like mm-hmm. if you believe that when, girls who dress immodestly are worse than those who don't, these are the kinds of messages that we were measuring. If you're believing these messages, that we're finding in places like Secret Keeper Girl, like for young women only. Mm-hmm. Like, like we're finding these in a lot of our big things. We're finding them on focus on the family broadcasts. Yeah. Right. Like these are these are in the the normal evangelical zeitgeist. Mm-hmm. If you're preaching these things, there's actually a good chance that it's because it is your experience. Yeah. Like maybe the men in your life are unsafe. Maybe you have been taught that men will not control themselves around your body. Or maybe a man that you love talks about how tempted he is by the 13-year-olds in your Mm -hmm. congregation or worse, the nine-year-olds and 10-year-olds who are dressing like little husties. I mean, we've all heard men say that about like really, really young girls. And maybe it's easier for this woman to believe, well, it really is women's fault than for her to recognize that maybe her husband has actually got some seriously concerning Um, stuff going on in his head you know and I have to admit this is like when I hear women preach this now that's what's going through my head is like what are you hearing at home what must you think is normal yes because like in the wider culture to look at an eight-year-old and call her intoxicating that's that's not normal. Or even a 13-year-old wearing a bikini and seeing her as a sexual object. Yeah. That's like, not normal. Like, no. No. Like, you could get fired from your job if you're found saying those kinds of things in some places. Like, we had, I know at the YMCA, we had strict rules about stuff like that because we were around children in bathing suits all the time. It's yeah. disgusting to think that the kinds of things that were said at church would have meant that you got like really talked to, if not mm-hmm. like disciplined at the workplace. Yeah. So if you follow us on Patreon and you get our podcasts, you'll know that I really enjoy reading in my spare time and that I have decided to turn that into a podcast series because <laughs> I read a lot of books and there are interesting things to talk about from them. So I recently reread an excellent book uh, by Tom Holland and he did sort of biographical sketches throughout church history. It's really interesting. They talked about a woman named Elizabeth of Hungary. And I thought about her as we're doing this. She is a woman who was horrifically abused by her confessor, uh, Conrad of Magdeburg. And she sets this standard of piety that literally kills her at the age of 24. Hmm. Right. She was a princess, very happily married. Her husband, she's very pious. Her husband's a fan of her piety. She's giving away her jewels to the poor. He's like, this is great. This makes me look amazing. And then he (laughs) (laughs) And so then uh, Elizabeth swears an oath to her confessor, Conrad, of um, like complete obedience, essentially, and takes a vow of chastity. She ends up working in the hospital that Conrad has set up, and she takes care of very, very ill patients all through the night. She's not sleeping. She's hardly eating. He breaks her will very particularly, making her confess. Like, it's really dark, Mm -hmm. really dark. And 
she is venerated actually for her piety and her piety is legitimately something that you know is powerful and she Mm -hmm. helped a lot of people but also she died at 24 she didn't die at 24 she could have lived to be 80 or 75 she could have done a lot more good Mm-hmm. But she was also puppeted. She was made to do what she did by her confessor who systematically broke her. Mm-hmm. And how many of these women are being systematically broken? Well, and honestly, that's what I wonder. Like when you read through these books, when you listen to some of the women who teach this stuff, I just can't help but think, what is your home life like? Like if you honestly believe that men find eight-year-olds bellies intoxicating that 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 little girls in Dana Gresh's words have the power of beauty and it is their responsibility to to control that intoxicating power like if we are putting that on little girls what must these women be going through um you know when when I was in university we were studying a lot about why it is psychologically and I might get this wrong and you'll jump in if I do. I'm sure That's I'm a psychology guy. But why it is that so many um, children and women who are abused end up blaming themselves um, and thinking that I'm the one who caused it. And what, they, what they've deduced or hypothesized or whatever is that if you believe that it's your fault, then you also believe that if I act differently, I might be able to prevent it. Yeah, it's a false sense of control. Yeah, it's a false sense of control. But if you believe, no, they're just doing it because they're an evil person and I can't do anything about that, then you are completely helpless. Mm-hmm. And this can keep happening to you and you're completely helpless. And I wonder how much is this very similar dynamic happening with a lot of the women who are who are preaching this message is like they're thinking, if I can just get all the women around me to dress differently, then maybe my husband will be intoxicated by me. Yeah. It's this idea of they're, they, they're unwilling to sacrifice the false husband, yeah. right? Like this false idea that maybe my husband isn't the kind of man who looks at 12 year olds sexually. Maybe the problem is the way that 12 year olds are dressing. Maybe my husband isn't the kind of man who doesn't have eyes for me alone, Mm -hmm. but he's actually the kind of man who would have eyes for me alone if he had a choice. He just doesn't have a choice. And you can't accept the reality that yeah, he does have a choice. And so instead it becomes this, this hope and this, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, like this, I mean, Adler's sense of the false self is applied to the spouse, right? So, right. And, and yeah. so you think about that. So, so they're trying to control what all the other women around them and the girls around them dress like in the hopes that now maybe my husband will remain faithful to me. And when you read the words that like Dana Gresh and Shanti Felden have both used, this is what it sounds like because Dana Gresh talks about how um, he automatically finished his eyes, finished the picture of your body. Right. So she uses gestalt theory, which is like, well, do you want to describe why this gestalt is totally- theory is complete crap about this? Because it's it's. I don't even know where to start. It's it's so not really applicable to this situation. Yeah. Um, but, you know, she talks about how men can't help but finish the picture of your body. So if you show a little bit, they're going to think about the rest of it automatically. You know, Shanti Felden says that all men are tempted to linger on, fantasize, uh, you know, imagine you naked, like that this is the male brain. Um, and, And they're putting it as a normal thing that's automatic. My husband's a pediatrician. 
Mm -hmm. He sees children every single day. Yeah. He never, no, like, like he is so appalled by this. I really should get him on the podcast to go off on this for a little bit, but like, he just can't imagine any man ever saying anything like that about being intoxicated by a little girl's belly. No. And I think there's another side of it too. I think there's one where it's like, maybe they're just, maybe like the women who are in your small group or who are that lady coming up to the young girl, at the church and telling them to be careful not to wear those pants. You know, yeah. maybe, maybe they're just in a marriage and they want to preserve that sense of the false self for their husband. Right. Yeah. I think there's also another side of it where I, I think if you're someone who has experienced that men who you love, whether it's your husband or not, are kind of dangerous people, mm-hmm. if it's the girl's fault, we can also try to protect other girls. Yes. I think this is also a false way of trying to protect young women. Mm-hmm. I think there's a lot of women who are really passionate about making sure that women understand the dangers of the world and understand that men can only want one thing. And that's where a lot of this comes from. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it comes from a really good place um, of trying to protect people. But again, intention does not equal impact. We say that all the time, yeah. right? Like if you intend to do good, but you accidentally harm, the only way to do good is now to stop doing the harm yeah. and is to say, well, I'm trying to do good. So you should just be okay with me doing harm because I tried to do good. No, that's not it. Yeah. So if you're thinking like, but these girls don't know what men are like, okay. But we also know that believing these things is not helpful and that there's obviously a better way. There's a third way. It isn't either like everyone should be naked all the time or everyone should be covered up to prevent lust. There's there's a way that's not about lust and about sexual impurity or sexual thoughts that teaches people how to be, you know, confident and have boundaries and recognize red flags and dangerous people so that instead of blaming themselves or trying to have a false sense of control when something bad happens or if they meet a bad person they'll instead have the resources to get out and yeah it might mean that a lot of people have to recognize that the false sense of the men that they love whether it was their father their grandfather maybe a friend's dad who you were really close with and was like a father figure or your own husband or worse i mean i mean i, I as as a parent even worse like your own sons yeah like whoever it is you might have to let go of the false sense of them yeah but that's what truth requires yeah yeah and it's interesting how in secret keeper girl they just never talk about red flags. Yeah. It's just, it's all about the power of your body to intoxicate. It is never about be careful of men who would ever say anything like this to you. No, there's not like a, there's not like a call up box that says, how do you recognize when someone is unsafe and say, Hey, if a dude's coming up to you at age nine and says your belly is intoxicating, you should probably call the police. No one says that. They just say that you need to make sure to only save it for your husband and to make sure not to intoxicate a man who should only be intoxicated by someone This is, this is a big thing. They say it's like, you're supposed to intoxicate one person. Men are supposed to be intoxicated by one person, like your wife. And so you're only supposed to be intoxicating to your your future husband so then if a man says he's intoxicating to you beforehand it's your fault like it's just it's so it's so messed up so i do want to just make sure that i give a big stats caveat here because i do think that it's important that if someone is speaking the modesty message that we go okay this is a red flag for are they safe Mm -hmm. this is a red flag for what they believe that does not mean and i cannot say this strongly enough that it means that this person is being abused this person believes that their husband is bad or that their father or anybody else like we do not know no yeah 
they have a higher risk. Yeah. That is different from that meaning that being diagnostic. It is not. Right. Yes. It's like a mole, right? You want to get the mole checked out and to ignore the mole would be really, really irresponsible. Yeah. Not every mole is cancer, but to say, well, it's just a mole is irresponsible. Mm-hmm. Yes, uh, exactly. And I also think that there can be another reason for women believing the modesty message and propagating it. And that is that it is the rule that has been taught to them. Mm-hmm. Just mm-hmm. If they just believe the rule and yeah. they haven't thought about it, they haven't had to interrogate the rule and they believe the rules are given to them and that they are good rules that will help them. Right? Exactly. It can come from a place of just not having thought through it. So it doesn't mean if you're someone who's teaching it all the time that you've made this your life's work. Yeah. Super big red flag. But if it's just (laughs) a Sunday school teacher, I'm a little bit more cautious about making that a diagnostic thing. Mm -hmm. I I think that there certainly is a red flag. Certainly would be a good reason to just kind of keep an eye on it. Right. But is this something that's like, oh, no, for sure. Like, yikes. Um, Mm -hmm. I'm more cautious there. I just want to make sure that we talk about the fact that this is not a their husband is bad. We need to change oh, yes. our view of their husband or whatever because of the fact that someone so is telling you yeah. to cover up. Although I do want to say, I do change the view. Like, like I, I, I actually want women to hear this because when I hear women talking about how all men struggle with lust, I, I do change their, my view of their husband. And that may not be fair. Like, I'm not saying that statistically. True. I think that that's different than saying it's important for you to be covered because yeah. this yes. is a like about if it's about respectability and dress that's different than all men are monsters exactly yeah because i think i think that yeah like we have to see this as people are if people are promoting modesty messages aside from like the idea of like well the 60 year olds are going to look up your skirt 11 year old right that's different that's the red flag but if it's just just like well remember to dress modestly because that's we're christians and that's what we do right and and then defining that very strictly or something well you know i think there's a level where yeah we have to talk about is this ignorance yeah. where we just we just don't know that it causes harm is as a place of privilege where like it's never caused harm to you and so you've never had to think about it mm-hmm. or is this a place where like you know you actually are perpetuating a harmful system because you're kind of you are a victim yourself in some way yeah right and we have to question which one because ignorance and privilege that does not mean that you're meaning to harm people yes. and it also must it should mean that you are willing to reconsider your beliefs when you realize how it harms people yeah. and we have to give people that chance yeah. But there's another big but where it's like, even if it's ignorance and privilege, if you're promoting things like 10 year olds, uh, oh, sorry, like 14 year olds on the worship team should wear long skirts so that the elders don't look up their skirts, even if that's coming from a place of ignorance or privilege, you are still actively normalizing a phoebophilic behavior. Yeah. And I want to say, okay, this actually happened to you. I, I just, I do need to say something. So there was a woman who told both you and Katie that, that you couldn't wear skirts on the praise team because the men in the front row mm-hmm. would look up your yeah. skirts. The, the youngest man was, was like 57. No, the only issue is the only people who, who sat in the front row were the elders when they were serving communion. Yeah. And this woman was the wife of an elder. Yeah. And so I'm like, okay, I now, I now do think differently about her husband. Oh yeah, I do. And, and so, I mean, that, that may not be completely fair, but, but we also, our I actions do. have consequences. Yeah. Though. And so, and so like the fact that so many women think that this is normal, I just want to tell you, like, when you say these things, the women around you are going to start to wonder about your husband. Mm-hmm. They just are, because that isn't normal. Okay? And I do think that we need to start normalizing seeing red flags where they yes. are. Please, mm-hmm. like, okay, can we please, instead of saying, wow, that 
man found that 12 year old girl to be a stumbling block because of what she was wearing. So let's change what the young girl wears. Let's say, holy cow, he found a 12 year old a stumbling block. Like, let's make sure that he's never alone in the church, that there is always someone accompanying him. Let's make sure that, that like, we, we like inv- talk to his kids and make sure they're okay. Like, let's, let's treat that like, oh mm-hmm. my goodness. Exactly. <laughs> Instead of going ballistic on what the 12 year old is wearing. Exactly. Because <laughs> especially when like, I mean, think about how many people are sexually assaulted because um, by the dads they babysit for, you know? Oh yes. This is another big, okay. This is, this is another big thing I have. One of the main places where girls are sexually assaulted as young teens is by the men that they babysit for. It's very common. It's very common. Like you'll see this a lot in our focus groups. When you talk to girls, like where is the first place where you were sexually harassed, where something happened to you, um, where you abused, it's often babysitting. So if there's a woman in your church, if, if your, if your daughter has a youth group leader, a female youth group leader who is talking about how all men struggle with lust, never, ever, ever let your daughter babysit for that family. Even if it's just an increased risk. Yeah. Like that is too big risk. We're not saying it's a hundred percent, but like that needs to start mattering, sending off like, holy cow, red flags, like Mm -hmm. flashing red lights. This isn't okay. Mm -hmm. You know? (laughs) And that's really what we're trying to get at with all this is like, what we're finding is that again, it's either ignorance, privilege, or for purpose, mm-hmm. right? Like that's why people tend to promote these things either because mm-hmm. it's just in the cultural milieu and yeah. they haven't thought about it um, either because they have just been lucky enough to, you know, totally miss the repercussions. And so they're, they're in a privileged position for this or because they're protecting themselves in a maladaptive way. And no matter what, that kind of points to this person not being someone who's good to get advice from mm-hmm. in this area, someone who needs to be educated or someone who needs to like have someone come alongside her and say, do you need help? Like, yeah. do does the church need to be here to help you heal? Like, do we need to figure out a way for you to get to the other, like, to, for you to be able to work through what's happened or maybe the fears and the anxieties around you know, sexuality and sexual sin um, among the people in your life. Mm-hmm. And I think these this is a conversation that needs to start to happen instead of just saying, well, this is just how men are, or, well, that's just what evangelicals say. We need to start saying, no, 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 no. Even if it is just what evangelicals say, it is normalizing a pedophilic culture mm-hmm. that turns young children, even prepubescent children into sexual objects and into, um, you know, the, I mean, they're, they're blamed for their own assaults in this culture. Yeah. Right. So no matter what we need to say, this is then this is someone who should not be a spiritual authority because they are not educated enough in these areas to be giving spiritual mm-hmm. guidance to children this age. And they're not able to recognize the red flags um, for mm-hmm. um, grooming and abuse, or there's someone who needs the help of the church to come alongside them and say, Hey, we, there's better for you. Like, this is not true. Mm-hmm. And you, you deserve better. <laughs> like you deserve better. Yeah, right. The other thing is, I, I actually had a woman come up to me, and she told me that my clothing was immodest, and she framed it as a, you were going to make the boys lust. Mm-hmm. And actually, she did it pretty well. But if she'd framed it differently, it would have been super helpful. So the problem was, I was quizzing at Bible Quizzing Internationals. And yes. I did not realize, because when you quiz, my friends, you you are using a butt buzzer, so you're lifting your bum off of the chair, which is really weird. Why they didn't use hand buzzers is beyond me. But anyway, we used a butt buzzer, and so you had to lean forward a lot. Mm-hmm. 
You're practically <laughs> horizontal. So you, we girls had to be really careful because you don't you don't want people seeing your underwear. Like that was just weird. So I I miscalculated my shirt and my underwear was showing. And so she came up to me and instead of saying, "Hey, I don't think you're aware of the fact that your underwear is showing," awkward. Yeah. She framed it as a less problem. And if she'd yeah. framed it as this just isn't functionally appropriate, right? Like, I don't think yeah. that you are aware of the fact <laughs> yes. that you look very different than the other kids all sitting up front. Yeah. It's all about framing, right? And so even yeah. that, like, genuinely helpful. She was trying to help me because my my clothing was not appropriate. I did not realize it. She stepped in to give me a hand. <sighs> It's about yeah. framing and how, what we're emphasizing. And so yeah. are we emphasizing bodies- like, I don't want you to be embarrassed, but people can see your bra yeah. or is it like, oh no, the boys. <laughs> <laughs> Cause like, I don't want the 50 year old moms to see my bra either. Like exactly. when I'm I just was like, no one. Bible quizzing, we want <laughs> no one to see it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And that's what I hope. I hope these conversations can start to change or people will notice like, what's the actual reason that we're talking about this, mm-hmm. you know, and it has to be protecting the young girl, right. Whether yeah. it's from embarrassment or, you know, but it's not protecting them from boys having predatory thoughts because that's on the boys. And it happens, frankly, no matter what she's wearing. Yeah. Well, these have been some interesting discussions today. Yes. I hope you guys found it interesting. I, I really, so. I, I really find this whole idea of, of why women are the ones sharing this message to be so interesting. Sobering, but really interesting. And I, mm-hmm. and I think that the thing that I like about talking about this kind of stuff is it also gives us a chance to see what, what do we do next, mm-hmm. right? This isn't just, Hey, let's just look at how things happened in the past and what's bad about it. It's also like, Hey, no, let's troubleshoot. Let's figure out how can we by emphasizing healing and wholeness and health actually mm-hmm. make things better for the future, but also for the people today who are perpetuating the harmful stuff. Yeah. How can we break the cycles in their life too? Yeah. Because they've been harmed as well. Yeah. And, and this stuff harms. It's yeah. bad. So let's just get rid of it. Okay, people, yeah. that shouldn't be too much to ask. And so that is what we are asking. That is what you're asking in the book. She deserves better. That is what we are asking in great sex rescue. That's basically what we're asking with everything that we do. We're pretty much asking, can we please just stop? Can, can we, we stop? please just stop? Can we just do something healthy instead? Please. Yeah. yeah. Please. What an idea. Please. So thank you for joining us on this podcast. Um, next week, we will be looking at another aspect mm-hmm. of our research for She Deserves Better. So do check out the book. We're so pleased with it. We're so excited that you're going to get to read the whole thing now. Um, and of course, you can read it right this moment if you join the launch team. So yes. check out that link. Otherwise, you'll have to wait till April 18th. There is an audio version coming. Rebecca and I did record it yes i had to record my first audiobook yeah, yeah which was fun and you of course had a really difficult time getting through the modesty chapter because yes. it was so emotional because mm-hmm. it really was bad this stuff was bad and oh, we yeah. can do better so join us next week as we continue this conversation and thank you for joining us on the bear marriage podcast Bye-bye. bye bye